Hey, my friends, we will be right back to the show, but I have a question for you. Are you struggling with the impact of childhood trauma? Well, know that you're not alone. I'm here to let you know that I'm starting a brand new weekly coaching group that includes a year of life coaching, accountability, support, habit and goal setting, and more. I'm starting a waitlist for the group right now, and I'm only taking a handful of people. And I'll let you know that through this personalized coaching, we'll work together to help you understand how your childhood trauma has shaped your beliefs, behaviors, emotions, and will help you create a roadmap for healing and growth. Right now, you can schedule an absolutely free coaching session with me and get put on the wait list if you go to thinkunbroken.com. My friends, it's your time to turn your trauma into triumph, breakdowns into breakthroughs, and become the hero of your own story. And I'm here to support you in doing that. Just go to thinkunbroken.com to register for a free coaching call with me and to get put on the wait list for the brand new weekly coaching program. We'll be right back to today's show. But before we do, I want to let you know that you can get a free copy of my first book, Think Unbroken, Understanding and Overcoming Childhood Trauma, when you leave a review for the podcast on Apple Podcast, either on desktop or on your phone. All you have to do is go to Apple Podcasts, look up Think Unbroken, click follow in the top right, and then go and leave a review at the bottom. And when you leave that review, screenshot it and send it over to book.thinkunbroken.com where you can upload your contact and mailing information, and we will send you a free copy of this award-winning, best-selling book, absolutely free, including shipping. Just go to book.thinkunbroken.com to upload your screenshot review from Apple Podcasts for the Think Unbroken podcast. And until next time, my friend, be unbroken. I'll see you. Hey, my friends, we will be right back to the show. But I have a question for you. Are you struggling with the impact of childhood trauma? Well, know that you're not alone. I'm here to let you know that I'm starting a brand new weekly coaching group that includes a year of life coaching, accountability, support, habit and goal setting, and more. I'm starting a waitlist for the group right now, and I'm only taking a handful of people. And I'll let you know that through this personalized coaching, we'll work together to help you understand how your childhood trauma has shaped your beliefs, behaviors, emotions, and will help you create a roadmap for healing and growth. Right now, you can schedule an absolutely free coaching session with me and get put on the wait list if you go to thinkunbroken.com. My friends, it's your time to turn your trauma into triumph, breakdowns into breakthroughs, and become the hero of your own story. And I'm here to support you in doing that. Just go to thinkunbroken.com to register for a free coaching call with me and to get put on the wait list for the brand new weekly coaching program. Save big money when you start your next project today at Menards. Convert your current recessed lighting with energy-saving LED downlights from Fight Electric. They're bright and install easily in just minutes. They also go from regular lighting to nightlight mode with just a simple flip of a switch. Save big on all Fight Lighting products now at Menards. Shop our lighting options today in-store and on Menards.com. Save big money at Menards. You're listening to the Think Unbroken podcast, and I'm your host, Michael Unbroken. I'm an author, speaker, coach, and advocate for adult survivors of childhood trauma and abuse. In this podcast, you will learn how to transform your trauma into triumph, turn breakdowns into breakthroughs, and go from victim to being the hero of your own story. You can learn more at thinkunbrokenpodcast.com, and of course, check us out on Apple Podcasts and Spotify at Think Unbroken Podcast. Hey, what's up, Unbroken Nation? Thank you so much for joining me today. My friends, I'm here with Dr. Roseanne Kapana-Hodge. My friend, how are you today? I am awesome, as always. Good. I love awesome and always uh, questionable, but I'm going to believe you today. Typically. Uh, yeah, awesome. there you go. That's, it's that's, all your mindset. That's correct. I agree with that 100%. Listen to any episode that I talk about. I'm going to bury mindset in you until you cannot get away from it. Um, first, I just want to say thank you so much. I'm super stoked to have you on the podcast and to sit and spend some time with me and my audience today who I know are going to be enthralled and thrilled with you. 
Um, you know, I want to start something right off the bat. I heard you say something that I thought was excessively profound. And you said, I'm going to change the way we view and treat children's mental health. That to me, I was like, respect, let's do it. Because that that is baseline. That's the catalyst. That's where everything comes from, right? I I am in this position where I'm like, how do I get myself out of my career? How do I make me obsolete? And that is how. And that is the first time I've ever heard anybody say that. And I just want you to, how do you even get to that place? What's your journey to that statement? Uh, wow. Well, thank you for saying that's a profound statement because it it is, things are bad for kids. Things are bad for mental health. And, you know, our children are, are, are canaries and they are, are helping us to see how difficult things are in the world of mental health. And it doesn't have to. And so mental health issues amongst children are just so on the rise. And so I've been working with all ages, but really a very strong focus with integrative and pediatric mental health for over almost 30 years next year. And, you know, I thought 20 years ago, things would be better <laughs> because I thought we would have innovations. We would be using evidence-based treatments. Instead, we're, we're gravitating towards things with little evidence behind them. Um, a lot of talk therapy, a lot of psychiatric medications, and yet mm -hmm. we are an all-time high with stress, anxiety, depression. Suicide rates have doubled amongst 10 to 24-year-olds in the mm -hmm. last decade. This is not okay. And so I really took it upon myself. I'm really well-known regionally, and people have always kind of flew in for me. And I just said, I'm going outside my comfort zone. And I'm going to push myself out on a national level. I've done a ton of media and my media has reached, I think we're at about a billion and a half people right now. And I want to send a message to parents that they can do things to reduce and reverse mental health symptoms and show them that there's a lot of evidence behind different types of psychotherapy, right? Um, including somatic experiencing, EFT tapping, EMDR. These are things that are very, very effective and specific to issues, as well as nutrition, um, neurofeedback, biofeedback. These are things parents just are not hearing about. They're only given typically one option, which is a psychiatric medication, which these things are often used off-label. So my journey is to teach parents and empower them because they just don't know other ways um, so that we can stop this mental health crisis that yeah. we're in. You're, you're speaking my language. And I, I, I completely relate and understand all of that. I, I go back and I rewind 30 years ago, being a child mm -hmm. in talk therapy, and then going through this journey of my own healing process and looking at everything from mindset to food, to action, to movement, to I did EMDR, tapping, you know, CBT, NLP, all the acronyms. Plus, I was sort of got I was this close to doing electroshock therapy. I was like, there's got to be a freaking breaking point in here where something about my life changes. Right. But I, I want to reverse real fast because I think those are really important and special modalities. And I have found so much from those, so much from plant medicine, so much from just the journey of stepping into the unknown. But you said something really important that I want to touch on. You said 20 years ago, you thought it'd be different. How did we get to this place where we're 20 years removed and it's the same game, right? Nothing has changed. Yeah. I mean, and I don't want to be a conspiracy theorist here, you know, um, but let's be honest. There isn't a um, medical program that isn't at least funded in some way by pharma. So there's a real mm -hmm. conflict of interest in the medical, in the mental health world, it's the psychiatrist medical first then we trickles down. So that's one part of it, right? So we're, we're how things are structured, our diagnostic and statistical manual, our DSM, which is the Bible of diagnosing people, is heavily influenced by far, right? That's one part of it. And the other part of this is, you know, we're not getting the same kind of care 20, you know, 30 years ago, even when somebody did meds, 
they were put in a hospital or given a much higher level of care until they're titrated. I mean, that's one part of it. But we also are, are believing that everything is biochemical. And we know that it's trauma happens, stress activation happens, inflammation happens, infectious disease happens. These are way more likely causes of mental health problems than genetics. And genetics don't define you. And people walk in and they think, oh, it's genetics. So that's part of it. The other part of it is we can't blame the system completely. The other part of this is that people don't want to be uncomfortable anymore. Yeah. And uncomfortableness is our body's alert system to let us know we need to take care of ourselves. Yeah. And instead, people push it down. They totally do. And I, I relate to that entirely. And I remember being young and making up my mind as a teenager, as I watched my mother uh, really battle bipolar and my grandmother and looking at it being hereditary. And maybe it's a gene thing. Maybe it's not. I also look at, you know, generational trauma and the impact of that going again and again and again. And so I'm biracial, both black and white, half Nigerian, half Irish. All of my background is trauma. All of it is slave trade. All of it is abuse, right? And you look at the impound, um, impounding effect of that over years and years and years. And I had got to this place where, because even as a youth, my mindset was around, I can't let mental health impact my life because I recognize that if it does, i.e. my mother and grandmother, then I'm not going to go where I want. And so I made this idea that the nomenclature of mental health existed in that you made it up. It's, it's not real. Fast forward 15 years, I'm having panic attacks five times a day. I'm completely overweight. I can't think straight. I have anxiety. I have depression. I'm losing my mind. I had a suicide attempt. Everything that you can imagine is happening to me because I did not acknowledge the truth that you can be impacted by mental health issues whether or not you want to. And that comes from the societal standpoint where I grew up in the 80s and everyone always said it's in your head. Yeah. Oh, I mean, a hundred percent. Right. And, you know, absolutely. At a cellular level, trauma lives there. They say that, uh, I believe it's every seven, year, seven years, you know, you go through a complete um, change of every cell in your body, but you don't lose your memory cells. And trauma is really deeply housed. And you can pretend, you can say, oh, that didn't affect me. Um, I had a traumatic event uh, a couple of years ago where um, it we it's a long story, but it ultimately it, re- it was a betrayal and somebody put me in physical harm, a woman who I was very close to and two people in her family. And I was in physical jeopardy. And, you know, I was like, I'm Dr. Bro. And I handled it like a boss. I was like basically almost like a hostage situation. I talked my way out of it. Mm-hmm. And what happened? You know what already happened to me, Michael. I walked out of there and they screamed at me for like 15 to 20 minutes, all kinds of crazy things. And it got, got in me, right? And all of a sudden I was activating. So trauma is going to grab me. What does that mean? Act Like I was startling. All of a sudden I started startling. People would raise their voice or um, come up on me quick. And I started activating. You know, I knew enough and I went and did somatic experiencing because the EFT tapping wasn't, wasn't doing it for me. Um, but... I knew enough to take stop and take care of myself because my body was giving me the signal, right? But even I, I was like, wow, I took care of myself right away. I went to the therapist. I did this. I did that. And it didn't matter. My body was like, you were traumatized. So what happens when you have people, like you said, you, your family survived famine, uh, slave trade, and all of that. Now, it's in there at a cellular level, but it doesn't mean it can't be addressed. And mm-hmm. that's what you've learned, right? Yeah. That pill isn't going to fix that. You have to do that deeper work. And it's really, really possible to do that. And it is it, what it makes what, what's been so fascinating to me, Michael, over all these years. My dad's a trauma survivor, you know, multiple traumas. Why does one person become resilient and another person not, you know? And what happens? Because I know so many people that have suffered horrific trauma, including my dad, beaten in his sleep by his mother, um, survived World War II and the Germans throwing bombs and him having to run in the tunnels, you know, and he's pretty resilient darn guy. And he doesn't look at it as like he's not, he lives a normal life. Like he's like, oh, you know, glass half full. This is wonderful. Lots of opportunities. It made me stronger. It's hard to say, but ultimately it's people that 
Sometimes it's within you and you recognize it in your body. But even if you are activated, there's always a way to unwind that if you're willing to do the work, right? Well, and that's the scary part too, because I, I think about that and how long I took these ideas and notions of being impacted by it and just stuffing it down and saying, this doesn't impact me ever, yeah. literally refusing it, right? And of course, if you've read The Body Keeps the Score, you know yeah. that it's going to come. Guess what? You're going to get it. It's going to show itself because it needs to escape, right? Yeah. And what I, what I came to recognize in like having these panic attacks and not being able to control it was that my body so desperately just needed to have a release of the pent up stress and cortisol that I had been bathed in for the last 26 years of my life. And yeah. The, 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 here's the thing that I have that happened for me, though, that I think kind of flipped the switch, because the question is, where does resiliency come from? You, know, you can look at some resiliency studies and point to one or two people impacting your life. And I was able to go all these really interesting turning points of my life. There was always some person, at least one who had my back in some capacity. The thing that was missing was my ability to accept that for myself and show up and take agency and have acknowledgement around the fact that I have this intrinsic power to be able to step into what's next. It wasn't oh until God. like, go ahead. Do you think you were so activated that you couldn't accept the help? hundred percent. Like okay. here, I'm going to share something really funny with you. So I, in my, in my early 20s, started going to therapy. Because I lived in a community where it was like, that's what you do. I had escaped the hood. I had gotten out of drugs and stealing cars and running with guns and And I was like, okay, maybe I need to do something about how crazy I'm acting, right? Just putting myself in dangerous scenarios, unprotected casual sex, like drugs, the whole nine, right? You know, all those normal standard symptoms. Yeah. And I remember going and paying a therapist $150. He was the best guy in the town, right? Number one dude. And lying to him and telling him what I thought he wanted to hear, because in my mind, I was like, okay, at least this satiates that thing where I'm trying. It wasn't, and, and I would love your opinion on this, but I have this strange feeling and belief, all, not only through my own experience, but understanding humanity and the human complex that we are, that until we reach rock bottom, we don't make change because there's something instinctual within us that just loves to suffer. And so I have been trying to get to this place where, where do you mitigate risk against this to put yourself in a position where you can step into your healing journey prior to that moment where you go, okay, I guess I'm going to die if I don't change. Oh, you know, it's why I love working with kids. Kids are so open to change, right? Mm -hmm. Their life is used to change. The older you get, the more resistant you are, right? And it's because of habits. So, you know, um, people, 70% of all decisions are made out of fear to avoid something, right? Mm -hmm. So we don't like, you know, we recently, we have a lot of exciting things going on here. And it's very interesting how things shake out, even with people that I love and care about work for me, where some people are like, this is the best thing other ever. And other people are like, wow, because Fear doesn't have to just be associated with painful things. It can be really positive things. Mm -hmm. And people make those decisions and avoid them. But you're right. We, we hunker down out of fear of change. And people come here all the time. People fly into me, and, you know, and they say, I want, this. I want this for my kid. I want this for myself. And sometimes when you put that mirror in front of them, they're afraid. They're afraid that once they make those changes, they can't just do what they did. They have to do something else. They have to be different. And there's yeah. a comfort level in dysfunction. And, and I think there's a level to that also, which, and this was a recent realization that I had when working with one of my clients that sometimes like realistically, it is the fear of you might actually get that thing that you desire that keeps mm -hmm. us from it, right? Yeah. Self-sabotage, because I recognize so often that like, you might put in the work and be right there at the finish line and then you purposely go off the track because how scary is it to get to have that thing when you come from this place where your wants, needs, and interests aren't addressed and acknowledged? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I mean, we're always like singing that Beastie Boys, you know, sabotage song around here because, you know, it's true. I mean, and, you know, you know, I love NLP and, um, you know, who who is rougher on you than you? Right. Yeah, and so totally. there's that conscious awareness where we're so rough on ourselves. 
But that subconscious part of us, which you can access, which is why I do all these therapies, because your subconscious is running the show. But you have to be willing to say, okay, you know, I'm going to take those steps. And I think that's the other part about change is like people look at everything like a mountain, right? Mm -hmm. And okay, it might be, but it might be a hill. And you have to do those little micro pieces. And people are afraid, too, of the work that it takes to get in those little steps. They're, they're not always celebrating those successes. They feel like a failure if it's not instant, right? Because we're part of this instant society of everyone thinks of medication and it worked really well. It's clearly not as we've shifted towards medication only in mental health. But, you know, you have to look at, you know, okay, you know, I, I, got in the way of my own success. What could I do differently? Right. And it's okay to have failures and that, and that people don't want to have failures at all. Well, and, and you think, you know, you speak about children and I think about the negative reinforcement of moving towards the things that you're interested in when you follow your intuition as a child, because there's often, very often, especially when you come from a traumatic background, like as soon as you move into that thing that you want to discover, there's ramifications. How yeah. dare you be you? How dare you dress how you want? How dare you eat the thing that you want? There is punishment and torture and abuse and all of those things which lead down that path to as an adult, how do you step into your intuition when you're terrified of the potential result of the negative? It's not even necessary. Here's what's so fascinating to me about this. It's a two-way street. And, you know, I don't think one foot leads the other here. It's kind of like a collision course where suddenly you recognize like, oh, I don't listen to myself. Is it A, because I'm scared of what could happen or B, is it because I'm scared of what I could have? And that negative reinforcement is so powerful because I and I would love to know your opinion on this because I think about being a child, right? Every action that I had was informed by fear. I, I would put myself in this small minority of people where I don't have a pleasant childhood memory prior to five years old, right? There is always something behind. And I'm also like <laughs> burdened, but also blessed with this incredible memory where I actually remember pretty much everything at all times, which I also recognize as a sign that it's a trauma response because it is my brain's mechanism for survival. So why is it that as we progress into adulthood and as a child, like people who come from the same homes and backgrounds, they don't have the same traumatic experiences, right? Or results, or as they head no. into adulthood, there no. are two different people who grew up in the same house, same abuse, same thing. How is it that one copes one way and the other doesn't? You know, and this is, you know, I do a lot of resiliency work too. And I talk a lot about resiliency mindset. And I talk about a resiliency mindset as being three parts. Okay. So it's how you view it, how you manage, how you recover. And how are, there's so many facets. But ultimately, if we can find a way to get our nervous system to regulate and not be in this hyperactive straight state, we have access to our frontal lobes and our cognitive thought. And so some people, for whatever reason, I mean, there's a temperament component in it, right? So just like you said, I mean, I have families that I did a lot of work at Sandy Hook, the Sandy Hook tragedy. My mm -hmm. center is, uh, we had another office right near there. And uh, we were one of the providers for Sandy Hook. And, you know, what happened, right? So why did one kid do okay. And actually the kids really generally all did very well in the tragedy with the parents. And what we knew about the parents is if they had a previous tragedy, if they had a previous mental health issue of any kind, they didn't recover as well. So what you bring to the table helps you recover. So that's one part. But when we talk about kids, you know, what are their life experiences? So having worked for almost 30 years and you know, either with clients or even in my own personal life, you know, I've had many friends and employees with trauma background. It tends to be that there was something for that provide anchor for a person that helps them to get through it, whether it was a grandparent or a teacher or um, being skilled in something. But then there's this group of people that for whatever reason have this internal thing that changes the way they look at things. So they don't, they're, they're, they're in this, they didn't have food. Okay. So you have two kids without food. 
And one child is, is, you know, grateful that when he did get it and another is angry because he didn't get it the other time. And it really was how they viewed it. And that is something that is hard to understand why that actually happened. But we do know that if people can find ways to regulate their nervous systems, they can respond better to trauma. Lots of work, you know, um, through, you know, to the um, 9-11 tragedy. You know, that's why Bessel wrote his book. By the way, I'm speaking with Bessel at a conference, um, Northeast Region Biofeedback Society Conference in January. If anybody's interested in neurofeedback, um, it's a nonprofit. And, um, but, you know, he went in working for pharma at 9-11 and did a survey, did research as to how people recovered and what were the top things. And lo and behold, pharma was like 20 something on the list. It was acupuncture, I think, was number one. He was like, what's this thing called somatic experiencing? And he, he opened his mind, right, to the other ways for people to recover and, you know, we know that those people did very well because they were given a lot of help. So, you know, how you view things, how you manage it and how you recover are all factors in how trauma affects you. Yeah. And there's so many variables in that. Yeah, there are. And I, I mean, it's it's incredible because I look at my own experience and like at these points of ebb and flow where my own brothers and sisters would be on what I felt like was such a better trajectory than me. And I would just be stuck, right? Just in this loop, in the loop, in the loop. And as I've grown and as I've changed, it is those tools that I have been able to leverage that have implemented the, the most long-term effective benefits for me. You know, and, and I think about as we head further into the future, we are at this some people like hate the idea that we always have access to information, right? I.e. our phones. And to me, I always think like, this is incredible because today I have the opportunity to learn something different because when I actually started this journey and I got serious about it, um, about eight and a half, almost nine years ago at this point, um, it was, I was trying everything, right? From acupuncture to yoga, you name it. I tried it. The one thing I refused to try, however, was pharmaceuticals because I had looked at the way that they had negatively impact my community. Um, not only in my own home, but in my neighborhood. And so like, to me, I have a really big issue with pharmaceuticals. Not that they don't have a time and a place because they absolutely do. And I will never be a person to say that that integration isn't absolutely. necessary. But I think that we are such an over-medicated population, especially in this country. And how do you process toxic stress when you are constantly turned off, right? Oh, I mean, right, it's, it's things down. But plus- you know, we are now become a society where meds are the first thing, right? Why isn't therapy the first thing? So we're moving away from evidence-based treatments. And there's, a, particularly for children, these pharma drugs, there's very little research to substantiate them. And a lot of the medications like Prozac and Zoloft, you know, they're, the, you know, those studies that they're doing, they, they bring in copywriters to come in mm -hmm. and parts of the research, you know, a lot of the Prozac studies only showed the first four weeks. When eight weeks, they showed a worsening of symptoms. And then we, you know, we built the whole mental health system 20 years later on these SSRIs. So medication is useful for certain conditions, a very small percentage of conditions, and they're certainly overused. And, and you know, we're talking about, in my, my world, children and teens, we have developing brains. We shouldn't be throwing toxins, toxins first when there's really nothing to substantiate. So when people come to me and say, oh, you know, we're going to try medication. I'm like, did you ask your psychiatrist for the research to show that it was efficacious for this particular thing? And they're like, no. And I'm like, go back and ask them and then come back to me. So, you know, there's, there's a lot. People just need to know there's another way. And they also need to know that the meds, even if they choose it, is not an overnight thing. And that's the other part of that driving them, Right you know, that they think, right? They don't want to do the work. You got to do the work. Yeah. So, you know, the basis of my work is to calm the nervous system with neurofeedback, biofeedback, PMS, meditation, EFT, somatic, whatever works, right? It's lots of things. Like you tried a lot of things and I hope many of them move because they all work. 
Yeah. Right. I, I, I agree. Let me ask you this question because I think it's yeah. really important. You, you've said a couple of times you have to find a way to calm that nervous system, right? And, and in that process, where do you begin? Because most people, and this was my experience, I didn't realize that I was constantly being triggered. A word at one point I hated because I thought it was, right? I didn't know I was being triggered. I didn't recognize the symptoms of dissociation, which yeah. were so incredibly potent that literally my brain felt like it was a mile away from my body. Yeah. And, and finally, just the toxic stress, no sleep, ate like crap, couldn't take care of myself. How, what does that mean? Like, what is this concept yeah. of like? So first of all, down? let's talk about activation and really what does it physically look like, right? So activation could be anything from being low on the energy, withdrawn behaviors, oversleeping, disassociating, focus problems, um, and then on lack of communication. Then on the other end is those hyper behaviors, everything from hyperactive behaviors, mood dysregulation, anger, agitation. And those those are the often behaviors that you see. You know, I shared an example of me literally having a physical startle response. OK, um, but that's that's not always common. You know, it can be anything else. There's so many ways that it shows, but there's often a physical component to you and then there's a cognitive component. So that's so that's a part of it. But what happens is once you're activated, physiologically, there's only three possible responses. If you're in a super high activation, which our nervous system has calm state, parasympathetic, and then a relaxed state, sympathetic dominant. So once you're in this overactivated, jacked up state, I like to call it, your frontal lobes go offline. You are not capable of rational thought, right? So people are walking into their jobs or relationships, therapy sessions, overactivated. They're not thinking, right? So this is where talk therapy doesn't have a place. Once you're regulated, talk therapy has a lot of, of value, but we can't start off with that because all we do is activate people. And, you know, therapists say, oh, yeah, I do trauma work. And I'm like, what do you do? And they're like, I do CBT. And I'm like, that's talk therapy. <laughs> we got to regulate the nervous system. They get they I'm a, when you're a trailblazer, you have to get used to getting people uncomfortable and angry with you. And that's OK, because I'm, I'm designed for that. So and the research, let's go to the research. And that's what I love about Bessel. He, you know, besides him dropping the F-bomb every two seconds, I adore him for He's, he's really pushing the limits and saying, you know, I was doing this and it didn't work. And now this is what really works. So fight, flight, or freeze are the three physiological responses that happen when you're hyperactivated. Now, you can have a trauma background. You can have a high stress. You can have anxiety. You can have panic attacks. It doesn't always start with trauma. But we also need to broaden our definition of trauma, right? So we think of, you know, physical abuse and sexual abuse. You can have medical trauma. You can have uh, a mother who's depressed and not engaging with you. And that could be trauma. I mean, there's just a lot. Now, we can always recover from trauma. It's not an easy thing and it takes time, but you can always recover the body, right? So what the work that I do with neurofeedback and biofeedback in particular gets works at a subconscious level. The body, the brain is easy to train and get the nervous system to come. The harder part is the pairing with new learning. And the new learning is therapy, right? You had to learn new ways that were healthy, right, Michael? Yeah, absolutely. I, I think you're spot on. And, you know, I, I take into consideration this process of that journey and recognizing a couple key elements that probably were the most beneficial. And that was getting regulated, right? That was being able to control my parasympathetic response. And understanding that like that was paramount because you don't because you don't know what you don't know. Right. And it wasn't until I started to acknowledge like, oh, yeah, I have anger spurts and I have uncontrollable behaviors and like I'm, there's no gray area. I used to say this all the time for the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger offering professional grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.
I'm either all in or all off. And I would just be in this constant flow of chaos, right? And I want to I want to say something that's very pointed here because I think it's important. I, if you go and look at the score adverse childhood experience survey, I'm a 10. I am in the minority of minorities where that comes, right? And I always tell if you're listening right now, please go research this and take this quiz because it's super important. It became profound in a way that it changed the way that I approach mental health. Um, And in that, you know, you said I was, this your words just now, you said I was able to change, right? I, I want to be very clear about this because I agree with you and this pisses people off, but I don't care. I believe that everyone is capable of this, but it's going to take not only a lot of time, but the same amount of effort. And and this is theoretical and hypothetical at best, but I believe that it takes as long for you to get healthy as it does for the trauma to take over you. And I mean, I'm 10 years into this journey, I expect that I got another at least 20 to five before I ever feel somewhat normal, right? But because I'm able to regulate, I'm able to tap into these systems. I'm able to have my routine and my boundaries and all the things that are involved in this, I was able to implement change. I I live by this very important principle. And I think that you'll understand this in that though trauma may be our foundation, it is not our future. 100%. And we have to stop telling people that they're going to be sick, that there's something wrong with them, you know, and you, we all have horrible experiences. You have had horrible experience. It sucks. It should have never happened to you. But we have the power. I don't know how long people's healing trajectory is, and I think it's very unique. But what I can say is that in 30 years, you know, why I started using these treatments, and I've always been holistic, is that these treatments are so fast in regulating the nervous system. So that activation and overactivation can be easily mitigated. It really can. Can you? The learning that's hard. It's the behavioral change that's hard. That is different. And in fairness, when you're living with people that are traumatized around you, and you're in a place where it's much harder to heal and your boundaries are harder for you, that's going to be a lot longer than if you're pulled into, a, you know, in a system where you're healthier people around you because you're going to be supported and loved for change. Yeah. And when you're with people who are traumatized, they don't want you to change because yeah, they don't. the balance. Yeah, 100%. Don't interrupt the status quo. I, I literally just wrote a blog about that today. Um, I, I want to pretend for a moment that I have no idea what we're talking about. Um, break down these modalities for me. Yeah. I, I don't know what they are. Yeah. So, you know, okay. So anytime somebody is in a distress, regardless of the source, okay, it can be even COVID anxiety and working with people who are experiencing stress um, and feeling incredibly agitated, often for the first time in their lives, just because of social isolation, um, you know, all the pressures that are going on in this world. It feels like a pressure cooker right now in the world of COVID in 2020. Mm -hmm. So your nervous system, as we experience stress, what happens is you cannot live in a high stress state. We are telling ourselves this as Americans and even in other countries too. Um, But we're living in this high stress state and your nervous system gets activated. Once your nervous system is you're not capable of rational thought, right? So when people go and they try to get help, it doesn't work. You could go to a great therapist, you could have autoimmune disease and you're going to a great physician, but you're not healing, right? Because once you're activated, every resource, including your immune system, your hormone system, goes to this unknown stressor. It's going to stay there until you regulate. So once you know, and you can physically, as a therapist, you can see when people are activated. You can see when they're processing information. You can look at their eyes when you're trained and you can see where they're pulling information from which side of the brain. You know, after a while, you really can just see where people right are in front of you. Um, obviously, I'm using tools called a uh, particular called the QEG brain map, and I can see where people's brains are working healthily and not healthily. You can see the rhythm of a brain by a technology um, where you put a brain cap on and you measure brain and you can see what's happening over a structure and how a brain is uh, talking to itself. 
So these tools are diagnostic, like a QEG. Then there are treatment tools. So biofeedback, neurofeedback, PEMF. Let's talk about these because these are tools that people may or may not be familiar with. They have a lot of evidence around them, particularly biofeedback and neurofeedback. Uh, Tens of thousands of research studies, uh, over 3,000 peer-reviewed studies just for neurofeedback. So biofeedback is learning to conscientiously regulate your nervous system. So really simple, breath work, You can control your body temperature, your skin conductance, your heart rate, your muscle tension. And why would you do that? When we focus on these what are called autonomic functions, it brings our stress levels down. It gets our nervous system to go into this nice, chilled out, parasympathetic state. And the more we do it, the more our muscle builds, essentially. And instead of being agitated, you're building this calm muscle so that you're really not just managing stress, you're stress inoculating. You're learning to get yourself regulated. You're giving yourself space for everyday stressors when your nervous system goes. Now, neurofeedback is different. It's subconscious. I'm training the subconscious to actually change brain waves in very specific areas of the brain. There's different kinds of neurofeedback. I do different kinds, but EEG is the most common. Nothing comes through the wire. It's based on operant conditioning. And you're basically telling the brain, hey, great job. Keep pushing down this unhealthy brain wave. Push up this brain wave. And the brain so desperately wants this reinforcement, which is typically a computer that um, a movie won't play, you won't get, there's points, there's all these things. In two to three seconds from the first time somebody gets hooked up, if you're looking at the screen, your brain is literally going to produce the right combination of brain waves. And then it takes time. Most people are doing 20 or more sessions. And it's used from everything from trauma to ADHD to um, autism. I do a lot of head injury. I do a lot of Lyme disease and pants and pandas. Um, And these tools, again, are designed to not just regulate the nervous system, but keep them regulated. And they then become that base where you then add in the therapy, which I call learning, and you learn to make new behavioral changes in a safe space with a person who's trained to help you. Um, and the great news is there's therapists all over the world who are phenomenal. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, and those modalities are so important and so powerful. You know, I, I think one of the things that's really hard is that, unfortunately, we do live in America. And that means that we, many of us, don't have health care to take care of this. Like when I go and I look at this journey for me, like it took everything I own, right? Yeah. Every, every single penny, a lifetime of work gone. Right. And I I look at that and I go, okay, is that a good thing or a bad thing on the, on the plus side is like, I'm in this place where, wow, I've had this transformation, right. To go from complete poverty, to be able to afford that, to like having a life that I love and I'm proud of, like that was a lot of effort and energy. Right. But there were so many moments where I was like, all right, I guess I'm putting acupuncture on my credit card. I guess my therapy is going on my credit card. I guess this thing that I'm going to try is going on my credit card and ultimately found myself well beyond five figures in debt. But it was like, what do I do? It's hill or die, right? And I I faced this thing where I made the choice that no matter what it took, I was going to do whatever it did take to have the life that I wanted to have. If if you're in this position, which I know there are people who are listening right now who are, how do you like, where do you start if it's finances and medical care that's going to be in your way? Yeah. So that's part of my mission too. So let's talk about where to start because a lot of these things can be done on your own. The deeper work with a therapist is going to be need to be done with a clinical therapist, but you can get there and there's lots of things that you can do. So number one, the foundation, I always talk about the eight pillars in mental health and there's the number one piece is nutrition. So what you put in your mouth affects your brain, your nervous system. And people don't want to hear that. So if you're eating junk, your brain and your body is going to work like crap. But it's affordable. Affordable. It's affordable. So what does that mean? So the number one best diet for mental health is an anti-inflammatory diet. You can Google that and you can, you can figure that out. But it is no or reduced gluten, dairy, and sugar. Okay. 
So start pushing those down. Sugar has no nutrients. And what we want to do is we want to put nutrient-dense food in our mouths. Why? Because our nervous system is so activated. It's burning through so many nutrients. It's not going to be able to keep up. I think the two most critical things, besides putting in a lot of vegetables in particular, if you can, is healthy fats and consistent protein. So in mental health, we know that low blood sugars are very much tied to mood dysregulation and the activation of the nervous system. So consistent proteins with some nice fat in there, like avocados and almonds and things like that. This is what you can do. You can choose to get Lucky Charms or you can get some sweet potatoes uh, with apples. That's what I had for breakfast this morning. So they're going to be very similar price points. So try to add in as much as you can for yourself. And you're going to give your body those nutrients so that it can work in such a stress state. What can you do that's cost-effective to regulate your nervous system? Well, these are easy tools. Meditation. So we know through research that after 40 days of 10, excuse me, 10 or more minutes of meditation, your brain is changed. So people think I can't meditate. Well, here's what I want to break a common misconception of meditation, that you have to be quiet. The thoughts don't have, you know, can't come into your system in your brain. No, you have to practice at it, right? Monks say they worked their whole lives to be great at meditation. And so you, it's going to be harder for you with a trauma back, background or any activation to quiet your brain. But there's guided meditations. These are free. They're on YouTube. You can get, you know, Insight Timer is a free app. There's lots and lots of things. You can look up um, on YouTube EFT tapping. You can do EFT tapping yourself. You can look up somatic experiencing and try to get into your body. Because one of the biggest problems with anybody who's stress activated, regardless of the source, and you already touched upon it, is you have you want to disconnect from your body. And so until you get into your body, you're not going to be able to heal. You're, you're going to keep moving away and disassociate. and You're not going to be able to do the thinking work. If you're not into your body, you have to recognize those sensations because your sensations are red flags to take care of yourself. Yeah. And also, I think with that, too, is when those sensations arise that you want to put yourself in this position of continuing negative behavior, you kind of have to pause and go, what is it really that I need right now? Because I found this when I was 150 pounds overweight, chain smoking two packs a day, drinking from sunup till sundown and living this really intensive life. I only continued to fuel that fire, right? I never asked myself the question of like, what is it that I really want to do? What is it that I want to be? How do I want to show up for myself? And so much of my change came. And I guess, you know, it's funny because the universe is always going to give you what you want. And I recall this moment where I was standing in front of the mirror, you know, I'm 360 pounds wearing a size 4XL shirt, size 47 pants, like jaundiced, yellow, gross, 27 years old and just feeling disgusting and being like, I need to change. And then getting sick and my body going, yeah, you do. We're going to help you with that. Right. And then putting me in this position where I was faced with um, not only getting SIBO, but eventually getting C. diff um, and really wow. putting myself in. A, it was rough. Yeah. I even had an FMT um, because ultimately that's what saved my life. But it was in that in which I had to adopt and adapt a healthful lifestyle because every bite of food that I put in my mouth mattered. Right. Right. And now it's a little bit better. You know, I've done so much in healing my gut and leaky gut and getting rid of SIBO and getting rid of C. diff. But now, I mean, there's still some times I want to have a slice of pizza. Man, I got to pay the piper the next day. You know what I mean? And so I think about the impact that food has in your daily life and how important that is. But nutrition is such like it is the number one thing when it comes to regulation. But, But it's so difficult because what tastes better than feeling good? Chocolate cake. Right. And so I know it's true. And then it's a behavioral break. Right. And, you know, you now know this. Once you change your diet, your teeth buds actually totally change. And it's just become so much easier to eat healthy. But it's it's 
harder to change your diet than your religion, they say, but it is it isn't easy in terms of the nervous system and what the body reacts to. It's easy to help heal the body when you change your food. Changing your food and the behaviors around food are another story. Yeah. But even if you start small, just start small. Like add a smoothie to your breakfast or somewhere in your day, throw in spinach or kale and, you know, put almond milk or coconut milk, get some fat in there, maybe even throw an avocado and start noticing the change. And then how do I feel? How does my body feel? Do I notice I'm more regulated afterwards? You have to drop into your body. Yeah. And that healthy food makes you feel more connected in it a good, is, safe way. Yeah, absolutely. And and from all of this, you know, I, I think, yes, food, food's the easy one. Meditation's the easy one. YouTubing is the easy one. If you were to leave someone who's listening right now with the one absolute thing that they must do, no questions asked, if they want to start healing and go down this process, what would it be? Yeah, I mean... You know, obviously, if we had a magic wand and there was no expense and they could afford anything, I'm going to tell you that NeuroFeed is a very, very highly effective tool for anybody with trauma um, and mental health issues because it works at a subconscious level. So even if you don't like it or believe in it, it's going to start regulating your nervous system and quickly and way quicker than than a medication will, because medications is sort of like Russian roulette. They don't really use any science to pick. They just go, hey, looks like you have this and you may not have this. You have that, right? How many people with trauma are diagnosed with, you know, I just got a call today for a four-year-old diagnosed with disruptive mood disorder. I'm like, he's four years old. Let's really take a look at this, right? You know, how likely is that? Not very. Let's find out what else is going. And I know nothing, right? So um, I would say neurofeedback. Now, if you could add something and you cost was a factor, then I would go to biofeedback and you could use something called heart mass, which is an inexpensive, relatively inexpensive device. It's $159. It will go on sale on Black Friday. You'll get it for 25% off. You can get it for like, they, they'll, have the, they'll have one for like $100 on Black Friday. And that's going to get you to sync your breath and your heart rate. The reason why that's my second choice, even though I love biofeedback and I think it's amazing and I do it pretty much almost every day, is that conscious control. And it's much harder when you're activated to get in that conscious awareness and practice it. But it is so effective. Research around this sucker is unbelievable. And it's easy. You can do it on the way, you know, to work and on in a train, you can do it at night. I mean, there's, there's, it's a tiny, tiny little device that help hooks to an Android or an iPhone or an iPad. It's, it's very easy to use, but these are tools that have the evidence to support the reduction of the activation of the nervous system. And this is a leading problem with healing from trauma and physical problems. Like this, these are you know, people get stuck all the time, right? I have a program called the Get Unstuck Program. It's because people are stuck. And so we have to help them get unstuck. And it's reducing the activation in the nervous system is absolutely the key. It's yeah. the key. I, I, I think that's brilliant. And I, I resonate with that in a really intense way because I, I recognize these moments in which I really felt like I had turned these corners in this journey. And it was always when I felt the most at peace and in touch with who I was. And in that journey for me, so much of that was yoga, right? Yoga is yeah. free. Yoga is on YouTube. Yoga is there for you. It's and like, I realize it's very like this new agey thing. Still, people still oh, have not quite gotten into it, right? But there is, yeah. and I, I think you know, I remember being the only guy in a yoga studio in Indiana over a decade ago, and being like, all right, I gotta try this thing. So. You know, for a, I, I think about that as well, because what is that doing? We're regulating. That's all this regulating is. and regulating. getting into our body. And if we're doing I do yoga morning and night, you know, we can also support our thyroid, which gets so taxed out from stress. There's so many things we can do in yoga. 
but it does teach you to get comfortable in your body, which, you know, again, anybody with trauma is going to have a disassociated quality to that. They may not realize it, right? So you talked about remembering everything in trauma. It's actually more common for people to not remember things. Mm -hmm. They want to cut off their memories, right? Um, And, but I love yoga and I think it's amazing. We have multiple people on staff that are yoga certified, you know, instructors and incorporate in the work too. Um, And we spend so much time teaching kids to try to get back in their body because, you know, anxiety and stress is the greatest thing that I have seen increase in these 30 years. Like if I thought I'd be dealing with stressed out three-year-olds, like I didn't think that was possible in a non-trauma environment, right? (laughs) They're just activated just because everybody else is activated around them and the world is so intense. Talk talk about that real quick, because I, you know, I distinctly have these moments of memories as a child of feeling stress, like locking in and you could just cut it with a knife and the impact of that and the way that that carries over. And then as an adult, you accept that as norm, right? Well, I mean, in your case, Michael, I'm guessing you were walking on eggshells, right? Oh, 100%. That were horrible to you. And so you had to be hyper vigilant and think, oh, my God, if I don't do this, then I'm going to get my ass kicked or whatever it is. You know, that's just unacceptable that that occurred to you. And, and I always say to every, you know, I'm sorry that that occurred to you because that's not right. Every child deserves like best environment in the most love possible. I mean, they just do. And unfortunately, you know, that is the, not the case for everybody, right? But I deal with kids of all walks of life who are living in loving homes and being well cared for and are activated because the world is so stressed. So our body knows no difference between good and bad stress. It's the intensity that is bringing a lot of the stress. So now, you know, in these 30 years, kids are expected to now write, you know, in kindergarten, a paragraph in first grade. Ten years ago, it was third grade. So we're now pushing these kids to do these things that don't have any evidence and showing their long-term success in life. So when we look at the happiest countries in the world, they all start school, really academic school, seven, age seven. They're not pushing academics, they're pushing play. So we're reducing free play. We're pushing way more academics. We're reducing physical activity and boys are how to pay. And these kids are very, very stressed because there's no chance to be anything but sit in, be on this hamster wheel to the intensity of, you know, you must go to college, you must do this, you must do that. And even well-meaning parents fall Mm -hmm. into that. And even when they don't, everyone else around them does and your kid gets challenged and pushed because the other kids, they're lacking skills. Kids are mean to each other. I mean, kids have always been mean to each other. But it's Girl. different. There's like, we know more, but they accept less. You know uh, what I mean? I, I heard you say that children's schools are developmentally, developmentally inappropriate. And yeah. I thought to myself, holy <laughs> sh- that is so true. Because mm-hmm. I grew up, I grew up at the beginning of No Child Left Behind. Yeah. Um, like when that started getting into high yeah. school. And I remember sitting, taking these standardized tests, being like, why am I taking this test? Because I'm pretty sure I'm going to go home and not have any food tonight. And yet here I am doing this thing. What, like, where do you go from there? Right? Well, I mean, first of all, you know, I always feel like the world of education is a bunch of right? So we know like early intervention is so important and all this other stuff, but they deny kids services. Like what, what are we doing early intervention wise? Like what, you know, we know kids are traumatized. We know kids, what can we do more, right? So we need to give kids these resilience tools that no matter what they face in life, some challenges are real, some are perceived, but kids are challenged regardless of what the source is. So we need to do more for that. But we are all on this ride that academics are, and I'm not saying that we know college education brings you more income, we know all that. But when I grew up, you didn't have to be a straight-A student. And Dr. Rowe was not a straight-A student when she went to college, right? <laughs> Neither was this guy. <laughs> so, uh, you know, I remember like the, you know, I, I went to college and I was like, I'm a genius. Like, I love school, college. I hated, hated school. 
and never went more than four days a week to high school. I planned every day off. My parents let me have days off. And I got my stuff done. I was probably a C student or whatever. And then I went to college and I did amazing. But that's not the point. You're not even allowed to have any individuality. You must achieve, achieve, achieve. And kids are taking on like, there's just a lot of pressure. And not everybody should go to college. Some people should learn an awesome trade. I mean, there's nothing wrong with tradesmen. They're always employed um, and, and you know, can bring some beautiful things to their world if they're doing their more hands-on learners. But, you know, our education system, yeah, no child left behind. Now we have Common Core, which was thrown in there with little evidence behind it. You know, it's all about learning a process instead of actual learning content. All my smarty pants who don't want to talk about the process, they just want to talk about content, they're struggling. So, you know, things are right now, the world of education is the, it's like the wild west because of COVID and they're just doing the best they can. Um, so no challenge in that. And I'm really hoping that we're going to have a silver lining and that people are recalibrating what they decide is important in their family life. And I'm hoping that educationally, they're, these kids are struggling emotionally um, socially, focus-wise, we're really starting to see buckle. And I'm hoping that we're going to really say, this is the time. This is the time to do better and do more. And um, I think we need to think about, not to sound hokey and corny, but we need to think about the whole child and all the pieces. I know schools are charged with a lot, but education isn't just academics. And we we really need to work on the mental health of our kids yeah. and providing a more well-rounded, you know, person because stress levels are unprecedented. I agree with that. I, I had so much stress in the school that now I reflect on it and I think to myself, man, if if I would have had meditation at one of the worst public schools in America, yeah. I might not have done so many drugs at 12 years old. Like that is very much a possibility, right? And I think about the impact that that has as I head into my adult years. And I, I could talk to you forever about this. This is so fascinating to me. But Dr. Roseanne, as we start to, to wrap up, I have one more question for you. Sure. But, but first, where can everybody find you? Yeah. So, um, well, I just wrote a book um, for therapists called Teletherapy Toolkit. You can find me at teletherapytoolkit.com. And, and um, if you allow me to talk about my bonus, I have this amazing bonus of coping statements. And it's for therapists, it's for parents, it's for individuals. And it's teletherapytoolkitbonus.com. You download it. It's these coping statements I've been collecting for like a dozen years. And there's over a hundred of them. And there are things that we can say to ourselves. And there's things that we can say to our children because it's so important to give them positive reinforcement so that they can learn how to cope. Um, and you can always find me on drrosanne.com too. But um, that's my giveaway is coping because we all need to learn how to cope. Yeah, this is beautiful. I love it. I have what I call power statements in my life and my motto and the way that I show up for myself every day. And there's not been a day in probably like eight years that I haven't had to use it at least once. So yeah. it's powerful. Those are good tools. My last question for you is, what does it mean to you to be unbroken? You know... To be unbroken means that um, you are somebody who has built in this inner strength and a core and you have uh, a resiliency that you have a level of Teflon in you and you've developed to the point where you, I don't want to say you don't give a shit, but you learn to care about and love yourself. Because until you find that within yourself, you will never, ever find happiness and love. And so it's really finding that so you have that strength to be resilient to whatever comes through or has happened to you. It's healing the past and also being ready for what is ahead. It's beautiful. I love it. Could not agree more. Everyone, thank you so much, Dr. Roseanne. Thank you so much. This is enthralling, as I knew it would be. Thank and you. This is a great conversation. I could talk to you all day. So yeah, thank Absolutely. And, and I'm going to say you should be proud of yourself. I am. Every single day I wake up. Yeah. Always. Okay. Um, thank you all for listening. 
If you liked it, please subscribe, like, follow, rate. And until next time, my friends, be unbroken. I'll see you. Thank you so much for listening to Think Unbroken. Please share this episode with someone who could use it and help us move forward in our mission of ending generational trauma in our lifetime. And if you would, please take five seconds to pop on iTunes or Spotify, hit that five star, leave a review. And you can also reach out to us on social at Michael Unbroken or at Think Unbroken. And of course, you can check out our YouTube channel at Think Unbroken. Thank you for being a part of Unbroken Nation, my friends. And until next time, be unbroken. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of plan investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Hey, my friends, we will be right back to the show, but I have a question for you. Are you struggling with the impact of childhood trauma? Well, know that you're not alone. I'm here to let you know that I'm starting a brand new weekly coaching group that includes a year of live coaching, accountability, support, habit and goal setting, and more. I'm starting a wait list for the group right now, and I'm only taking a handful of people. And I'll let you know that through this personalized coaching, we'll work together to help you understand how your childhood trauma has shaped your beliefs, behaviors, emotions, and will help you create a roadmap for healing and growth. Right now, you can schedule an absolutely free coaching session with me and get put on the wait list if you go to thinkunbroken.com. My friends, it's your time to turn your trauma into triumph, breakdowns into breakthroughs, and become the hero of your own story. And I'm here to support you in doing that. Just go to thinkunbroken.com to register for a free coaching call with me and to get put on the wait list for the brand new weekly coaching program.